Our scripture reading today is from the uh, book of Acts, chapter 4. I'll read a reasonably short passage, 32 to 37. Um, you should probably say this every week, but listen closely to this passage. This is, this is good stuff. Hear the word of God. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who was, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. In reading that out loud, it's quite clear to me that we're probably supposed to keep reading right into the next chapter. That's the chapter break. And I don't know if you know this, but the next story is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. We're staying on the positive side of this conversation today. So, um, I'm not sure you're all aware of that. I don't choose these pictures. I get to enjoy them with you. And I am not an art person. You've noticed my PowerPoint slides, right? It's white words on black background. That's me. But every once in a while when I see these pictures, I'm going, oh, that, that's beautiful. Think about that. And I'm not going to tell you what to think about it because I already said I'm not an artist. So let your inner artist hang on to that and let that affect you. And some of you, that's probably enough for today. You don't even have to listen to me because you can think about that for a while. And bless you if you have that gift. So we're doing Caring Encounters. And this is the second and final Sunday of talking about money and Caring Encounters. Um, as, as I've said, this is, this is a long-term project in my mind, the conversation about how we have conversations, right? And um, a number of you are in small groups right now, and you're having this conversation as, as a practice. Um, and I guess I just want to say this, that the reason this is a long journey, I hope, is because this is the gospel, right? Our ability as human beings to have Meaningful conversations about difficult things with other human beings and love them is our following of Jesus, right? And so this isn't about a specific part of the gospel. I want to suggest to you that we can use almost any passage in the Bible to be a part of this conversation as we continue to think on this journey. All right, this is our long-term journey of being gospel people. And today we're going to focus specifically on money. And we're going to be in the book of Acts today. And um, it's often called the Acts of the Apostles, but I want to reemphasize, as many others have before me, it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, right? Because when you read this book, and, and it's really an amazing book, it's the early church um, after Jesus kind of allowing the Holy Spirit to shape everything that they do, right? And so in many ways, the book of Acts is our model it's our ideal in many ways for what it looks like to be the church of Jesus um, in this day. So last week we looked at Malachi, which is the end of the Old Testament. And between Malachi and Acts 4, 
a lot happens. And that can be summarized in one word, Jesus. Jesus happens, right? And so, um, thank you for a couple of you, a few of you actually, more than usual, actually came and talked to me about my sermon last week. We had interesting discussions. Um, But what I'm surprised by from all of you, and I'll say this nicely, you missed something. You missed a really good opportunity to say, wait, wait, wait a minute, Pastor Eric. You're wrong. You're being a legalist. You can't tell us all to tithe and give that to the church and say there's a rule about how you do this. There's a much bigger story in mind because what I was telling you was the Old Testament version, and trust me, it would work fabulously. If we need option two, it's everybody tithe and we'll put that in a big storehouse and we'll find a way to manage that as a community. Right? But option one is this amazing story in the book of Acts because once you add the Holy Spirit to our good ideas, Never mind. Once you let the Holy Spirit transform our reasonably good ideas, now you're in a whole different ballgame, right? And what Jesus did was come to show us there is a way to do everything the Old Testament required in the fullest possible manner, and that's through him and by allowing the Holy Spirit to be at work with us. Now, at the beginning of the service, as I welcomed the Fruitland people, I did that at the, out of a conversation with the pastoral care team here. Um, and another thing they suggest is this, and I'm thinking, this is another thing we should do, and it's their suggestion, so I'm just giving them credit. We should, more often, or every week, we should have prayer after the service right here at the front. So starting today, anyways, I will be that person. So if you want to, instead of walking that way at the end of the service, just walk this way, and I will be here, right? And I know for, I've done this before, that people say, well, I don't want people to see me needing prayer. Well, I want to change your reality on that. There's nothing more normal you can do as a Christian than ask another Christian to pray for you, including your pastor. It's not a sign of being messed up. It's a sign of being a normal follower of Jesus. It's what we do, okay? So if that helps you, I know you'll still feel all the feelings you feel, and that's fine. But if something in this service, whether I've said it or as obviously it affected Brandon already through the songs, right? Feel free to allow that to shape you and guide you to a place where you go, I'd like someone to pray for me, right? And of course, if you don't ask me, you can ask somebody else. There's lots of people who will do this with you. All right, that was the aside. Back to the topic. The Spirit's work among us. Look how this starts. All the believers were one in heart and mind. And pretending I can read Brandon's mind, he was feeling that we're not quite there yet. You said that too, so maybe I'm not reading your mind. Thank you. Right? Imagine this, because this is the vision of the church given to us in the book of Acts. Imagine us all being so united in what the Spirit's doing in us that we have unity of mind. And I don't think that means that we agree on everything, because there's lots of things that are debatable. We talked about that a few months ago. But what it means is that our mind is in common that we will do the main thing that Jesus called us to do. We're going to love each other. We're going to accept each other. We're going to walk with each other. We're going to hang on to each other no matter what. Imagine that kind of community. Because this 10-year project of caring encounters, as I call it, right? we're done and we'll stop early if all of you are saying, Pastor, I so badly want to be in a group where I can talk with other Christians about the things that I believe, even when they disagree with me, because I find that something that deepens my ability to follow Jesus in the world. 
right? And you know that most of us right now are a little bit hesitant about getting into those kinds of conversations, right? And some of us are just openly hesitant. We have no need to be in some other group like that, right? To be truly the people of Christ, bringing love in a world that needs love, requires that we're also open to jumping into those kind of conversations. And hopefully, when the Spirit leads us into that conversation, He also leads us to a place where we have meaningful growth and experience in our lives. All the believers, one in heart and mind. I'm not sure I can describe what that would finally look like. I think that's one, again, where our imaginations need to come into play, where we start to imagine what would it look like if there wasn't a single person in this body who I was scared to talk to or would fear having a very open conversation about what I do with my money or other aspects of my life. The believers were one in heart and mind. And that heart thing, I think, is essential because, as I said, the New Testament version of generosity, of dealing with money, goes way beyond tithing. And thank you for the person who pointed this out to me last week. Thank you for that conversation. The New Testament idea is do what your heart calls you to do. Right? So I don't get to tell you that we're going to tithe or that we're going to do The leadership of this church doesn't get to tell you this is exactly how we're going to do this. What we need to do and what we need to allow is for your heart to be moved by the Spirit of God in such a way that whatever you do with your money is the overflow of how your heart beats. And this brings us all the way back to my New Year's Day sermon when you were kind of sleepy and I was kind of sleepy, but we still had a very good conversation. By the way, a better version of that sermon, I wasn't supposed to tell you this, a better version of that sermon happened at Beamsville the next week because I was more awake and they were more awake. I told them not to tell you that. Did anyone from Beamsville tell you that I did a better job there than I did here with that sermon? No? Okay, they were good then. They kept their promise. So getting our hearts in the right place, allowing the Spirit to shape us, is something that happens when we pause with God and say, God, what do you need to show me in my heart? So as we're talking about money, maybe in your quiet time, you either read these passages or other ones about money, and you ask yourself, God, how does my heart beat when it comes to sharing, being generous, or even stewarding, using the money that you give me for my business, for my life, for my home, and all those kinds of things? The shaping of our heart, the passions of our very core, is what's going to shape what we do with our finances. And then this is stewardship 101, or stewardship number one again, just like last week. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Now, Ruthann, i got to ask you a question, because you didn't tell me ahead of time you were doing Ken Miedema. He didn't write those verses, did he? He wrote the prayers, is that correct? Or did he write those verses? Oh, so he wrote that hymn? Okay. Now I know. Now you know. In case you were wondering as well. So I, I love Ken Miedema, by the way. This guy is amazing. But I have a beef with him today. He said, take our silver and our gold. And you all know from last week that stewardship number one is none of it actually belongs to us. So I was singing all by myself, take your silver and take your gold not a mite could we withhold. Doesn't that change the story a little bit? And again, we're not going to beef with Ken. He's good. But keep thinking about that reality, right? That the biblical idea is that you own nothing, God owns it all, and he lets you use it for a while. Right? 
And our idea is I own, and I'll decide what God gets along the way, right? And that's what you're going to notice, by, by the way, by the time we get to the end of this message, this passage is the standard about how we function with money is way, way up here, right? And the easiest way for us to walk into good stewardship conversations is by all of us starting on our knees and saying, God, we're not even close to what you have in mind. We're sorry, but we'll keep going. And then hearing God say, I know. I know you'll never manage to hit my standard completely all the time, but keep on leaning. Keep on letting your heart be shaped because this isn't rules. This isn't legalism. This isn't God saying, here's the rules, obey them or I won't love you. It's God saying, I love you. And the more you lean into my love, the more you're going to enjoy actually finding ways to be more and more stewardly and generous and all those kinds of things. No one in this early church claimed any of their possessions was their own. That's a pretty good standard right there. Mi casa e su casa. My house is your house. It's meant to be a hospitality statement, meaning, come on in, make yourself at home. But if you take it really literally, it's, this is my house, now it's your house, here's the keys, right? They shared everything that they had. They shared everything that they had. The idea of generosity is that you have this deep sense again that whatever has been given to you is, is a free gift. And so since you've been given a free gift by the God who owns everything, your natural response is to go, oh, I get it. Stuff is for giving away. So when somebody needs something, I'm going to find an opportunity to give it to them. And I know you know this, and I know you do this, and I think we just need to keep celebrating that reality. God has given us all kinds of stuff, and he wants to know how often we want to celebrate also being like him and giving it away the way he gave it to us. The gospel proclaims. So suddenly in the middle of this conversation about money, we hear this. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that have to do with it? It's about as simple as this. Jesus, though he didn't have a whole lot of money, right? he depended on others, there's a thought for us. Because you know in this passage, people sell everything that they have and follow Jesus, which he, he used that line a couple of times. That's a strange reality in our world, isn't it? I don't know any of us are doing that. I know I'm not doing that. What if what Jesus was doing in his life was showing us the best way to actually live in this world? Again, really high bar. He's saying that I'm going to give everything, because it was given to me by my Father, I'm going to also give my life for you, for others. I'm going to lay down my life because I trust that God will then give it back to me and raise me up again, right? We at least need to think about this with respect to finances. How do I let go of it? How do I turn it over to God? How do I not a might would I withhold, to use the hymn language? And how do I then see what God puts back in my hand and calls me to steward and manage and care for, right? The gospel is at the core of this conversation. Now, that gospel, of course, needs to be lived out in community. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Now, I don't think, at least to the best of my knowledge, that there's 
needy people among us. But I think sometimes, I'm going to say this carefully, that that's because the culture of church kind of caters towards middle-class people, right? That it would be hard to live among us if you were a person in need. Say that carefully. You think about it. Feel free to push back on that, right? But there's there's a, a collective culture here where we might be challenged to welcome somebody whose lifestyle didn't keep up with how most of us are experiencing life. Saying that cautiously, but I think we need to hear and think about those kinds of things. And again, also talk about them in our small group. So um, the reason I was at Beamsville a couple of weeks ago to preach was, of course, because Pastor Steve DeBoer has moved his ministry focus to Niagara Falls, right? And the bridge ministry there is, is a church with five members, except that they count as members all the people who live on the street in Niagara Falls, right? People who have that amount of need. And they're trying to do a different thing there, and I think we need to lean into that and wonder about that and, and think that through and join in that in whatever way we can to wonder, what does it look like if church would include all kinds of people of all kinds of status and need and all those kinds of things, right? I think we believe that and understand that. How we live that out is a good conversation to keep on happening. And then this. From ruled to radical. So from tithing to give um, sacrificially. From the tithe to total. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. You know what we call that in our day and age, right? Crazy. That's what we would say. It's crazy. Right? Don't do that. We believe, collectively, correct me if I'm wrong, that owning land and property is sort of the the stabilizing factor in your life. I want to check this with you. You do believe, though, that Jesus is a more stabilizing factor, right? I know you do. I'm not going to make you answer. Did you notice, by the way, Ruthann makes you say things. I just let you listen. She made you say, not a mite would I withhold. She made you lie. Sorry. Right? Think about how that works, that, that we, we say all these things, and I think what we're doing in that, and that's what I'm trying to do with you, is, is help us lean into the fact that there is... There's a call in our lives that's far beyond what any of us have already entered into, right? So that if we are too comfortable with what we've already managed to do, we might be missing out on what is the Spirit saying to us? So what if the Spirit said to one of us, you know that property you have, you should sell it. And you should look at the way they donated. Put it at the apostles' feet. Pick someone to be the apostle. I don't want to be the apostle. Klaus, you're closest. Thank you for being the closest to the front all the time, by the way. This is Klaus Brabel. He's new among us. He's going to share his story in a couple of weeks. What if we put all the money at Klaus's feet? Klaus has experience with this because he's done an amazing ministry. He will tell you about that in a couple of weeks. Right? But what if we laid a whole bunch of money at your feet and said, Klaus, use this for the purposes of God in the world? Right? That would be an amazing opportunity. It would be a scary opportunity, too, I think. But they didn't say, they brought it to the apostles and told them, we want you to start a church over here. They just laid it at their feet. Because when God asks you to sacrifice in his name, he'll usually say, follow me. To which most of us would ask, and where are we going? To which Jesus would say, 
follow me. To which we would say, but I don't know where we're going, and that would go on and on. But that was Jesus' line. Follow me. Lay your tithe, whatever you're going to give, whatever God's spirit leads you to, at the feet of the apostles. And let go. I think that's a challenge for us, right? I think that's hard for us. I think money and control and power are so part of our system and our way of thinking, right? And I know this because I live in the same world as you do, right? We feel these things. And that the control of our money is a control of power, and we have a strong connection with that. Let me just say it that way. Who were these people expressing need? That's the tone you need to read that in. Who were these people? And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And I, I write that because, in my experience, people in communities like this, we don't, we don't share that we have financial need, right? I know I grew up terrified to ever tell anybody I had no idea what to do with money so that I would be okay. It was scary for me. This was an off-limits kind of a topic. What do I do with my money? What's okay? What's right? Right? And if you have need, if you're not sure you're going to make it, asking somebody else at church and saying, hey, I'm not sure I'm doing okay financially, that's terrifying as far as I know. Maybe not here, right? I wonder, as I said earlier, if that might be the reason why we tend to be people on the same socioeconomic zone anyways, right? Because we have been trained, I think, to be really cautious about saying, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm struggling here. Wait, I'm going down. And allowing others to carry us and pick us up. And it's not only with money, right? This idea that we can have difficult conversations would include the conversation, I don't know how to manage my money. I don't think I have enough money. I need help. And yet, on the face of it, if you look at the bylaws of it, if you look at the marching orders of this body, this should be the safest place in the world to be able to say, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. Can you help me? And make no mistake, this body would help you. I, I'm certainly not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that we wouldn't love. My experience is this. Church people are way, way, way more eager to give and share and help than they are to say, I actually need help. So our growing edge, I would suggest, is on the, can you help me, being able to ask, right? We would indeed, I'm sure, show up. Here's a label for you. Joseph, and I think they call him Barnabas because there's so many other Josephs in the Bible already, they thought we better get another name. I don't have that on good authority. He's a Levite from Cyprus, and Cyprus is an island about the size of PEI in the eastern Mediterranean Sea, um, which means he was a diaspora Jew, which means he had left the... Israel zone and, and was doing Judaism somewhere else. Um, the apostles called him Barnabas. And they tell you its meaning because it's such a lovely meaning. It's son of encouragement. Many of you probably remember the day of encouragement with which Diaconal Ministries of Canada used to put on. Um, I won't tell you that I was part of the people who stopped that from happening, so I'll just keep that on the down low. It was a great thing in its time, right? And it was a day of encouraging people the way Barnabas encouraged. And there's, maybe you know this too, there's, there's an organization called the Barnabas Foundation. 
And they are the same thing as what we have here as Christian stewardship services. They have this goal. They encourage you to give wisely and generously of the wealth that you have, including in your will and all those kinds of ways. I'm sure you've heard the ads. That's a freebie for them. Um, Barnabas was one of these people. Let's just go right on to to what he did. Do you remember the rich young ruler? This was one. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet because that's what people were doing at that time. So when people, the rich young ruler, when people say to me, Eric, I just read the Bible literally. This is my go-to passage. Yes, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow Jesus. Right? So, follow the Bible, of course, but recognize that we follow the Bible by interpreting it and understanding it in terms of what it's trying to say. So here's our question for today. Because Barnabas sold his property and laid the money at the feet of the apostles, how do we, how do we do that? Because I picked cloth, but we don't have any apostles anymore that I know of. No one takes that title, right? And fact is, I haven't heard anyone tell me that the Spirit was telling them to sell their property. So what does this look like for us? That's the challenge of the Bible, is to recognize there's a lot of really amazing stuff going on in this passage. It doesn't all translate simply over to here so that I can say, he sold his property, you have to sell your property. Everybody sell their property and away we go. That's a rule. What we're looking for is, what is the Holy Spirit guiding you to do? How are we listening to God in terms of our finances so that when we have to make decisions about what we share, what we keep, how we use it, how we invest, all those kinds of things, that we can honestly say, and this is why I say do it in community, the Spirit told me to say this. God inspired me to do this. This is how I'm hearing God speak in my life. And so my question for all of you is, what is your Barnabas story? How can you encourage other people by sharing your story of what you do? One of the people who came in and talked to me this week because I'm so bold as to ask, are you talking about this in a small group somewhere? And they said, no. I said, perfect. How do you decide how you share your funds? And we had an amazing conversation, and I want to thank that person for sharing all their different ideas with me. Right? And it was a beautiful and uplifting opportunity when someone said, this is how I do it. This is what works for me. This is, this is how God has encouraged me. And they said every one of those stories with a smile on their face because there's a sense of this is what it's like to be generous. This is what it's like to be moved by the Spirit to say, wow, that's a great opportunity. I'm glad I did that. So for all of us, I don't get to make the rules. We don't get to make the rules. You need to follow your heart. Hopefully the Spirit's at work in your heart, shaping how you decide. But what is your Barnabas story? How can you encourage one another by actually sharing what God's been inspiring you to do? Let's pray about that. Lord Jesus Christ, Thank you for your incredible model of generosity that you gave your very life. And we pray that we'd be attentive, that we'd be taking the time to be attentive to what are you saying to each of us? And we pray, Lord, that in community together, we would listen and hear and act according to your Spirit's guidance and that we would find opportunities to be surprisingly generous, maybe even surprising to ourselves. For Lord, we again want to say, it's all yours in the first place. Show us, inspire us, and guide us into what we're meant to do with it at this time in this community. This we pray in your holy name. Amen.